Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank y'all. Well, that was, um, that was great worshiping together. And uh, Vanessa, our worship leader, um, those two songs she wrote. So I think they were recording those. And, and uh, Paul, I was going to just recognize you. Uh, you. You were worship leading, and Vanessa was probably eighth grade when you started bringing her onto stage and worshiping uh, when we were at PCF together. And lots of young people at early ages, including a couple of my kids, you kind of fathered along. Now they're writing songs and recording and leading worship. A lot of worship leaders. So do you stand and just be recognized? Paul Spencer. Yeah, thank you for being a father. A father to worship community in Atlanta and South Atlanta especially. I'm excited about today uh, speaking. I really got a, a message in my heart. But I want us to... I want us to um, pray up for the storm. I, I, feel, I feel like it's our day to rise up in hope. It's our day to rise up in faith. And our, uh, I, you know, most of us just have a love for Florida. My, my dad retired and stepmom retired in Mexico Beach, Florida on the beach there. And uh, we've, we've got, lots of us have roots in Florida. And it's a day to rise up. Jesus was in a storm. And when, when the disciples said, what do we do? And they're freaking out. He asked, where's your faith? It's us to rise up. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me that um, George Washington, just all through our history, George Washington twice in the, in the uh, Revolutionary War, massive battles that changed when he was praying for weather to change. George Patton. Massive battles, Battle of the Bulls, changing weather. Like it's our birthright to move storms, stop storms, change storms. Jesus said, where's our faith? So let faith arise. And we're, we're, we're standing with Bethel Cleveland. Uh, they, uh, Steve Witt there in Bethel Cleveland, they're right above us in Cleveland. And they were last night praying that the storm would dissipate. It would get discouraged. It would get disappointed. It would shrink, and we just, let's let it turn. Let's just keep turning away from Florida. Let it, wherever it goes, not hurt someone else. Let it dissipate in the Gulf. So, Lord, we just lift up. Stand up with me, if you would, and lift up our faith together. We raise up, and we just declare faith, and we say, storm dissipate. The storm die down. The storm get discouraged. The storm loses its way. We just stand against that storm. We stand against life being lost and property being broken. Enemy, be still and move the storm, dissipate. Let the people, let let the prayers of the saints rise up all over the nation. And we say, no, no, no. Disseminate. Get discouraged. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you. Let's keep praying. Let's keep it moving. Last night as uh, Bethel Cleveland was praying, they saw it move and shift a little bit off. And um, 
You know, names are important. And Irma means a goddess of war. It's, uh, you know, Steve Witt, the pastor of Bethel Cleveland, he feels like it's a demonic storm. It's much bigger than anything that's ever been. And the name is uh, not a good name. So we just speak against that storm that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Names mean things. Matthew, uh, the storm Matthew last year turned out to be not, my, uh, Steve was telling me, not, not a terrible one. Matthew means gift of God. And uh, there, some of the people are, are now saying that some of the things they learned from Matthew, the evacuations, are helping them today. A gift of God. But let's stop. Let's stop the goddess of war. Amen? Names mean things. So I want to preach today about the gospel message. Gospel means good news. And I want to, I want to raise the good news in my heart and yours together. I want the authority of it, the feeling about it, your reputation about it, the way you, your first thought about it to be lifted up. That's my goal. And it's actually, my goal is that it would raise up in, in our hearts in such a way that we'll share it more. That we will, our hearts will be to share it. The gospel is the greatest story. It's the most beautiful, it's glorious. It's powerful. It's resurrection power. It's raw. It's love. It's extravagant. It's the heart of a good father. And the enemy comes to taint it. I was sharing with a college student the other day what I was going to talk about. He said, when I hear gospel, I think of an old dusty Bible. Like, I need, you need to come hear my message. Because the enemy wants you to think of it as an old dusty Bible, distorted, disappointed, washed out, doubted, distracted. But it's a beautiful story. And so my, my goal today is to just share what's in my heart about the gospel and what I think about it. And so, are you with me? I'm going to have some fun, and we're going to talk about it. So uh, we're going to start with some scripture, Romans chapter 1, and uh, this is in the Passion Bible, so I think we're going to pop that up on the screen so you can follow me on that. And uh, I love the message and the Passion, but I, my main Bible is the New American Standard, and I just love the, the, just the literalness of the New American Standard, and so I'll, I'll read it. And I love Bible having the Bible on my phone, because I can touch a button and I can read the NIV or the New King James and just touch a button and you can just see it's so easy. And then uh, if I find something that's really catching my attention, often I'll pop over the Message Bible and that's a fun, fun one to look at. And then this is the Passion, which is a, is a relatively new one. But catch the wording here. My name is Paul, a loving and loyal servant. That word servant uh, comes from the Greek word doulos, and it signifies more than a servant. It's one who's chosen to serve a master out of love, bound with cords so strong that could only be severed by death. He says, I'm a servant of the anointed one, Jesus, and he called me to be his apostle, and he set me apart with a mission to reveal God's wonderful gospel. Pretty clear, Paul's mission was to reveal this beautiful gospel. 
And I write this letter to all the beloved chosen ones in Rome, for you have been divinely summoned to be holy in his eyes. Isn't that beautiful language? What if a letter was being written to you tonight by the Apostle Paul? And he said, I write to the beloved chosen ones in Tyrone, for you've been divinely summoned to be holy in his eyes. There's a call on your life to be holy and me, to be holy in his eyes. May his joyous grace and total well-being flowing from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ rest upon you. Isn't that beautiful? I see grace as tangible. You hear it? Grace is going to rest upon you. The operational power of God. God, let the grace rest upon us tonight. And Paul said, my commission is to preach the good news, yet is not entirely new, but the fulfillment of the hope promised to us through many prophecies found in sacred scriptures. It doesn't take a lot of faith, in my opinion, to believe that God is, Jesus is the Messiah. There are hundreds of prophecies predicting him coming. And back in the day, in the old days, we had this book by Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Anybody heard of that book? It's an old school book. But it had a, it just listed, it was kind of really a nerdy book. It listed 100 or more prophecies spoken about Jesus hundreds, hundreds of years before he came. And after you read dozens, you're like, Wow. And they even predicted, like, what are the chances of one person fulfilling all these hundred? And it's like one in 10 to the 25 or something, one in trillion, 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 gazillion to be able. Think about it. The Messiah was to come. He was to come out of Egypt. He was to be born in Bethlehem, and he was going to be a Nazarene. All prophesied in the Bible. Now, a cynic today would read those three and say the Bible's contradicting itself. It's a joke. But then a little glimpse looking backwards and you see, yeah, he was born in Bethlehem. Yeah, Joseph, they had to exile to Egypt. He came back out of Egypt and he grew up in Nazareth. It makes sense. It makes sense in hindsight. How many things in the Bible we look at confused and one little glimpse, so, oh, it makes sense. But what are the odds of fulfilling just those three? Do you know anybody born in Bethlehem? What are the chances of being born in Bethlehem? Of all of humanity, seven and a half billion people on the planet, how many were born in Bethlehem? It's one in, one in, who knows, millions. How many people you know came out of Egypt? And how many people do you know grew up in Nazareth? Those three alone is like one in a billion. Add pierced in the side and cursed and hanging on a tree. We're at five prophecies out of a hundred. And you're already at one in a trillion. Doesn't take a lot of faith if you're a math nerd. (laughs) To believe in the prophecies of Jesus. 
So he says here that it's not entirely new, but the fulfillment of the hope promised to us through the many prophecies found in the sacred scriptures. For the gospel is all about God's Son. And as a man, he descended upon from David's royal lineage. But as the mighty Son of God, he was raised from the dead and miraculously set apart with a display of triumphant power supplied by the Spirit of holiness. Isn't that beautiful? As a man, he had authority because he was a son of a famous person, David, a god after man's own heart, the true worshiping king, that prophet. As a man, he had, he had a lineage. And as God's son, he has a stamp of approval risen from the dead, the risen Christ. He's God and he's man. He's fully God, he's fully man. He was born of a woman and, and fathered by the Holy Spirit, God and man, fully man, fully God. That's our gospel. It's a beautiful story, the way it's woven together. And, and so, and now Jesus is our Lord and Messiah. Through him, a joy-producing grace cascading into us. That's beautiful language, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to be a poet. You can be a math nerd and still like this language. Cascading grace pouring into us and empowering us with the gift of apostleship so we can win people from every nation into a faithful commitment to Jesus to bring honor to his name. It's part of our call, right? All of us as a church, winning people to his name. And are you among the chosen ones who receive the call to belong to Jesus? He says, you are among the chosen ones. When I read that this morning, it made me feel special, called, chosen. It made me feel a sense of responsibility. Anybody feel that way when you hear those words? You've been called. You've been chosen. With a special mission. Amen. Let's uh, turn to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4. A really cool passage of Scripture. I, I love this little few verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 3. Even if our gospel message is veiled, it's only veiled to those who are perishing. For their minds have been blinded by the God of this age, leaving them in unbelief. Another version says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. When I first came across this verse, it was so helpful to me. Like it, it takes it from us and them, good and bad, righteous and evil, to they see and they don't see yet. I think it's more the heart of the Father for the lost. We're all his kids. Everyone's been made in the image of God. 
And I don't think he looks down good and evil, bad or good. I think he looks like they see. Or they don't see yet. The God of this age has blinded the mind. And you look at your unsaved friends or family, it's like, no, the God of this age has kept them blind. More, it's a more compassionate, it's a more biblical view of your friends and family. Hey, let's be the light bearers. Let's want to be the ones that break through to let them see. And so the God of this age has blinded them. But we are, we are the people of light. And so the next verse says, their blindness keeps them from seeing the day spring light. And that's also, the day spring light is also translated the flame of the good news. Is that strong? Their blindness keeps them from seeing the flame of the good news. Michael Maiden, when he was here, he's a prophet and apostle. He said, I see on your, church, your property in that big field this 200-foot flame. That's not literal. We're not having like the world's biggest bonfire. It's in the spiritual realm, a flame, a flame of the gospel, a flame that's a light, a flame that pierces the darkness. It's the dayspring light of the wonderful news of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the divine image of God. Jesus is the divine image of God. And in Colossians, or excuse me, in Ephesians, it says he's the exact representation of the Father. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. I'm in the Father. Right? The Father and I are one. And he, he would go after the disciples like, if, you haven't, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Bill Johnson says, uh, he says, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. If there's something you believe about God that you don't see in the person of Jesus, you have a right to question your belief. He's perfect theology. He's the exact representation of the Father. He's the divine image of God. When, we, when Jesus came, it was God incarnate. We Protestants sometimes have trouble with, he's God. We're fine with it. he's the son of God. But Jesus was God, is God. Got corrected by about 12 people right there. Good. Good. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Father God, God in three persons, Holy Trinity. The Catholics don't have a trouble with the triune God. Sometimes Protestants do. God in the flesh, God made flesh, God incarnate. We saw Jesus, he came. We sing Jesus, he came. Yeah, he came. God incarnate. And so it was, it's a dual meaning when, when Jesus lived a perfect life and and willfully became obedient to a father. He was showing us obedience. He was showing a man under authority. He was showing us who are moms and dads who've experienced that immediate love of a child, 
like where you love that child more than you love yourself immediately. The mom and dads would give up their life willingly for those three child's children we just dedicated. For those two boys and that little girl, there's something divinely loving that says you would give up your life for this child that was just born, that all you're, they're doing nothing but keeping you from sleeping and smelling up your bedroom. And I would give my life for this thing. It's divine love. So maybe he did it for that reason, but, but make no mistake, God himself hung on a tree for you and me. He got up there willingly for us this gospel message. It's just, I shared one in college with a family member of the gospel. And my stepdad is from England. He says, it's too good to be true. I don't believe it. It's too good to be true. It is too good to be true. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's the greatest story. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. Still, he gives his life away. Their blindness keeps them from seeing that day spring light. But we don't preach ourselves, but rather the Lordship of Jesus Christ. For we are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let brilliant light shine out of darkness. And that he's the one who's cascaded his light into us. The brilliant dawning light of the glorious knowledge of God as we gaze into the face of Christ. And I love this verse 7. We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's, not ours. You catching that? Imagine, imagine a two-foot-high, it holds 20 gallons of water. It's a clay, earthen, red clay pot. It's faded, it's chipped. In the Aramaic world, it was everywhere. It was ordinary and common. It says this treasure, this beautiful treasure hidden inside this common clay pot. You and I are the common clay pot. We're the ones chipped. We got a little faded. I don't know if pots had pot guts, but they, you know, we're... It's imperfect. It says the wrong things at times. Sorry attitude at times. Inside is this glorious gospel in every one of us, in you. He just, I don't know why he designed it that way. I said, I'm going to veil this fabulous gospel inside Normal, flawed human beings like an earthen, plain, common pot. This treasure hidden 
in a jar of clay. You and I, we hold that pleasure. We hold that treasure. It says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We use that verse for another reason. It's Revelation 19.10. But think about it this way. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. When you, when you speak of Jesus, you're prophesying. And what does prophesy? Eyes get opened. Light happens. People can see. The testimony of Jesus allows people to see. And why do we want them to see? So they won't be blind anymore. So the God of this, it breaks down. The God of this age is blind to the minds of unbelievers. The testimony of Jesus, spirit of prophecy, lets us see. The gospel to me is the prodigal dad. Prodigal means extravagant. It's the extravagant father standing on the porch, looking on the horizon for the son returning and running in an indignant manner, chasing after the God and restoring him to all of his previous rights and privileges and honor. The gospel is that great message of the extravagant dad loving and forgiving and restoring like he did every one of us. We are the recipients of this extravagant dad. Earthen vessels, fallen. He's the one who came after us. The gospel is the journey back to the garden. He set it up in a perfect garden, a great husband and wife, Perfect communion. The temperature was right. The food was good. It was organic. Even, it even tasted good. Perfect. We messed it up. Creation is broken. We have storms because creation is broken. It's not God's fault. A broken, fallen world creates messes. We create messes. Nature creates messes. It's not God's will. The gospel is a journey back to the garden. He's inviting us back to this garden. Woo! What a story. He says in John 10.10 10, that you should have life and have it more abundantly. We paint God as this old man, grumpy old man. Walter Matthau with an attitude. We paint him as a grumpy old man. And he's inviting us back to a garden that was perfect. The gospel is the greatest story. We hold it in jars of clay. Bethel exists, Bethel Atlanta exists to empower you to reign in life. 
Isn't that John 10, 10? To have life and have it more abundantly. Isn't that an invitation back to the garden? The gospel is God with us. Emmanuel. We sing it at Christmas. Emmanuel. We sing it in high church with candles and our little four-year-old in a green velvet dress and everything's fine. God with us. But he's also God with us when you're knee-deep in water and you live in Houston and you're looking for your road sign. He's still God with us. He's God with us when the marriage is hurting. He's God with us when the month is getting to the end of the month and the money's gone and the end of the month isn't there. He's God with us. He's not a feeling. He's not worship on Friday night where I get Holy Spirit goosebumps. The fact of the matter is he's God with us. God with us, when I feel it and when I don't, he's still God with us. This gospel, he's the gospel that came to us. Compare it to any other faith, any other ism. They're all working their way to get satisfied, so maybe they'll be good enough to get over the bar. We serve a gospel that's God with us. The God who came to us, the God who, who chased us, the God who jumped off the porch, God with us. It's the best story ever. And I'm preaching myself to be excited about it. God with us. Lindy's dad had this saying, whenever any of his Five kids would be ungrateful. And I mean, if you've had five kids and they were ever teenagers, like there are times when they're, they're acting entitled or ungrateful. And all he had to say was, where were the other nine? Where are the other nine? It's a reference to the time when Jesus healed the leper. He healed 10 lepers. Nine walked away. One came back and said, thank you. One came back grateful. Only one came back. Can you imagine being a leper? Can you imagine getting healed? Dr. Harper would say, where are the other nine? And I wonder, um, I raised my hand that if I had God's heart for the gospel all the time, I'd be sharing my faith more. If I had his heart for this wonderful treasure hidden in a jar of clay, I wouldn't walk by so many people. Where are the other nine? And I, my, theory, my philosophy my feeling is that 90% of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't have his heart for the gospel or our churches would be filled with new believers. Where are the other nine? But the day is changing. I see, like Elijah, a, a little cloud on the horizon. It's as big as a man's fist. 
and it's coming to the church who's becoming a bride and the gospel's being awakened and the burning ones are catching God's heart for the lost and for his church and his bride and that cloud is getting bigger. I've seen it and I've seen him bring other things to his church. I've seen 40 years ago where we, we started singing songs. Paul, you were... 30-something years ago, we were just started. No one was singing anything but hymns, and we started singing songs to him. We started singing the psalms. They weren't always that great, but we started singing psalms. The horse and the rider, the horse and the rider. Some of them were really corny, but they were great at the time. They're thrown in the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. Yes. We sang those songs with you. You were there. I saw him bring, you know, it was Pat Terry in 1976 and about two other bands. There, you, you remember Pat Terry? You know them all. Phil Kagey. That's all we had was Pat Terry and Phil Kagey. They were great, but that's all we had. And Keith Green now, yeah, you got to love Keith Green. So, so, but now look where we are today. We have our daughters writing beautiful songs. And 30 years ago, no one was getting healed in the city of Atlanta that I heard about once or twice. Or we get one a year in our church, and we would milk that thing to death. <laughs> Come on, Joe, tell the story about three years ago. Somebody got help. The church is changing. We sometimes need to stop. Like, it's, you know, it's far from perfect, but because we're not perfect. But it's changing. And there's a cloud on the horizon, the burning ones. Are going to be consumed with the gospel story. And you're going to see churches where there's a constant stream of people being led to Jesus. It's starting to happen here. There are a half dozen of you that are leading people to Jesus regularly, it's growing. Some of our outreaches are, used to have one or two get saved once in a while. We've had dozens at one time this year. There's something on the horizon. Lindy led seven people to the Lord in 47 minutes. It's a miracle. On the streets of Wales, it was a miracle. It's as crazy as somebody getting out of a wheelchair. It's on the horizon. He's come. I knew he would come. I'll tell a quick testimony or two as we end about just sharing our faith in normal circumstances. It doesn't have to be complicated. We're going to teach and talk about it. It's going to be easy.
Dion, are you here? Come on out real quick. Share that one you shared with me, and I'll share one as we're starting to close. Dion DeMola, he's one of those that's happening. He's leading us. Share, you just went on vacation lately, right, to Jamaica? Yeah. Um, I got three super, super quick ones because they were back to back to back. But uh, once every year, other year, me and my mom go somewhere just to catch up. So we went to Jamaica this year um, just to hang out for a few days. And I got there. And before I went, a week before I went, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was in a house. I'm going to talk fast because Steve. But um, I was in a house and I was upstairs and um, I knew Steve was downstairs. So I came downstairs and he was at a, one of those old fireplaces that are in, in the middle of the house to heat the house. And he was like, I'll show you how to get the fire hot. And he poked it and just blew out this fire. And then I walk out the door because I knew Lindy was outside. And as soon as I walk out the door, two Jamaican men walk up to me and they say, no one will come to our town. I said, I'll come to your town. He said, no one will come to our town. I said, I will come to your town. Just draw me a map and I'll come. And so he blew on his hand and it had instructions or directions how to get there. And then I walk out, they walk off and I walk out to Lindy and she's in a big farm truck, like a, a truck going out to get a harvest. It's like one of those old farm trucks. And that was the dream. So I get to Jamaica, and the first day we get to Jamaica, I go out to the beach, and this guy tries to sm sell me some weed. He tries to sell me marijuana. And I said, this is real life. This is real life now. This <laughs> so I'm in Jamaica, and the guy tries to sell me weed. <laughs> and um, I told him, I said, no, I, I, don't, I don't do that. Um, I said, I live, I live for God. And he's like, oh, okay, 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 that's cool. That's good, good thing, good, good. And so we got to talking, and we ended up going fishing the next morning. And... Um, and he was like, I want, I want you to come to my town. I want you to come to my town. And then the dream flashed back to me, and I was like, oh, I'm here for you, and I'm not fishing for fish. <laughs> so we get off of the boat, and um, he goes to get some fruit for my mom. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm trying, like, how do I connect? How do I connect? How do I connect this? Because I knew he believed in, like, something, like an almighty. And he was like, because he kept saying, my heart bleeds for love. My heart bleeds for love. And so I was like, that's it. And so I got real with him. I said, I said, how you say your heart bleeds for love? I said, mine beats for love, and love has a name. And then I introduced him to Jesus that way. And that, I told him, I said, you have God in your, in your mind, in your soul. I said, I want to introduce him to your spirit. And by the end of it, he, I led him through to Jesus on the prayer. The guy tried to sell me weed. I led him to Jesus on the beach. And, um, and he, I said, um, <laughs> and then I introduced God as his father. So he was calling God father by the time I left. And then I went to lunch that day, uh, an hour later, and the lady was really good, and I saw that she was stressed or whatever. So I asked my mom, I was like, I didn't have no money. So I said, hey, mom, you got any money so I can give her a tip, $5 or something? My mom was like, no. And I said, well, I'll give her something better. I'll give her a prophetic word. So I go up to her, and uh, she's at the, the waitress booth or whatever, and I start giving her a prophetic word and prophesying to her and just speaking love to her. And, um, and she said, are you a Christian? I said, I am a Christian. I said, are you a Christian? She's like, no, but I thought about it one time. I was like, well, let me tell you. So I, so I told her about what it meant to be a Christian and the peace I have and everything and, and just the love in my heart and everything like that. And then I said, do you want to become a Christian right now? She said, yes. So I led her to Jesus at lunch that day in the, uh, the waitress uh, area or whatever, stuff like that. So then the next day, I'm at dinner, and they have like a buffet, and the lady was carving turkey. And I went up to her to get a piece of turkey, and she said, um, she said, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. How are you doing? And she said, not so good. I said, what's going on? She said, well, I'm really dizzy, and I'm, I just, I'm really dizzy, and got vertigo, and she was sweating. And I said, well, 
I said, I'm a Christian and I believe in healing. Can I pray for you? And so I prayed for her to be healed and I went down and sat and ate. And then me and my mom were about to leave and I glanced over the lady and I said, uh, I said, mom, I'll meet you outside. I'm gonna go see if the lady that God just healed wants to make that God her God. And so I went over there and I said, how are you feeling? She said, I'm completely better. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, that's good. I said, that's God. And I said, do you wanna know that God? Do you want that God to be your God? And she said, yes. So I led her to Jesus at the, at the turkey carving booth. There was two people waiting to get a piece of turkey and I'm sitting there leading her through the prayer to receive Jesus. And so <laughs> I, get, I get some good turkey and she gets Jesus. So it worked out. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. Thank you, Dion. Just selling weed and he leads them to Jesus. <laughs> and with another story, I, we were sitting on a park bench in the street and we were on outreach and there was just 10 minutes left. I was waiting on Lindy and a young man comes and sits right next to me on the park bench and I've got five minutes before we're supposed to leave and, you know, we're still learning how to share the faith this certain way with this little tract and I said kind of simple awkward you know God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and the Welch were pretty cynical they're like I wish you'd get on with it then <laughs> so I want to ask you kind of an upfront in your face bold question if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure, without any shadow of a doubt, you'd go to heaven? You know, that question is an old EE question. It's an old school question, but it actually tells you so much. Because most of the time people will say, yeah, I think so, or I don't. It's a $64,000 question. It lets you know where someone is, and if they say yes, they can usually happy to explain why. But I said, you know, um, and then he gave me seven good reasons why he would not believe. Great excuses. He had them thought out. I didn't have anything else to do, and I really didn't know what to do. Notice Dion and a lot of these guys in the shared testimonies, they're hearing the Holy Spirit. Where do I go? That's where we're all going to go. You can start with a track. But it gets much more real and personal when the Holy Spirit's walking you. But I didn't really hear where to go, and I just said, you know, I'm, I'm with a group and we're sharing our faith and I pulled out this little three-by-five card. It kind of showed him how little was on it. Do you mind if I just read something to you? He said, okay. And I just read, you know, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And most people will agree with that. I know I've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then the second, the wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. And then whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord 
will be saved. I said, you know, I'm a whosoever. Are you a whosoever? <laughs> and before I go, do you mind if I just say a quick prayer? I got to go. People don't want to get trapped. Before I go, you say a little quick prayer. And just prayed that, um, you know, I thank you that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. And I, and, uh, I know that if John wants to join me in this prayer, he can be saved tonight. Amen. John, would you like to join me? Yeah, I would. You know, I was shocked because he gave me seven reasons why not. <laughs> Normally, if I hadn't had the little piece of paper, I would have been gone. It would have been, have a wonderful life. But a little tiny tool, a little tiny tool that contain the Word of God, which pierces in His light, which pierces the darkness. And it made me realize his objections weren't cast in stone. He had not written a thesis for his master's project on these objections. They just sounded good. And they were willing to melt like ice on a hot day before the gospel. It's not that complicated. We're going to be a soul-winning church. He who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. We are going to be a wise, soul-winning church. We're not going to answer the call, where are the other nine? No, nine of us out of our ten are going to be back in Jesus' face. Thank you. I love the gospel. That's who we are. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.